Previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. Every gamer in the world has the right to enjoy Resident Evil 2. But I just don't get the atmosphere. I just don't. I, I think the lack of music really hurts it. I was mortified by what I was seeing. To put it bluntly, for me, I've never been a fan of this game. Where they've taken the criticisms about the bathroom to heart, <laughs> and, uh, but then, then then taken it beyond that and said, "Look, we need to think about this functionally." I decide that I'll let all my inhibitions go and dress up as Regina from Dino Crisis. And welcome to episode 47 of the Project Umbrella podcast. Batter down those hatches, there's a storm a-coming, whilst we wait for a demo for Resident Evil 2. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune, and on the podcast today we have the world's greatest detective, both in fiction and reality, it's Batman. Hi. He's known to have at least ten Soviet-era clones, Salisbury Suspect. It stars Tyrant. Hello. And finally, Lynx have just released the New Zealand variant of its popular fragrance for that authentic sheep shit smell. It's Rombie! <laughs> <laughs> have they? They have, they have. I actually know this. I would know this, yes. Lynx New Zealand you can buy. Can you actually buy it over there? No, not over here, no. I just happen to know that you can. There's Australia oh, wow. and New yeah. Zealand version. There we go. Coming up on today's podcast, we're going to be looking at all the news, both gaming news and site news, before diving headfirst into Heavenly Island, an obscure manga title within the main storyline. After that, we dish out even more punishment on ourselves after watching the live-action movie we're dissecting Gun Survivor 2, a title so poor that it didn't even get a stateside release. We then, of course, finish with Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. But first off, let's start with the news. Since the last podcast, we've had Tokyo Game Show, which released a couple of videos and some tidbits. We saw the first glimpses of Claire and her gameplay, Brian Irons and his foul language, glimpses in the boss fights of Birkin and uh, and Sherry as well, and Ada Wong, for starters. Um, how's this game coming along, folks? Are we excited by what we see? <laughs> the, the silence is deafening. I think as a Resident Evil game, it looks fabulous. As a reimagining of Resident Evil 2, I have less positive things to say, but then the one thing I would say is it, it does look like it. You, you played the original remake, and you, you could see its heritage very clearly, what, you know, and, it, and, and the two sort of stand proudly side by side, the original and the remake. This is clearly going for a... I think John touched upon this in the previous episode. It's going completely, like, as far away from the original as it can, while still sort of retaining the essentials and doing everything else differently. So, in that sense, I can separate it in my mind. But I do take issue with quite a few things, unfortunately. All the subtlety in the character of Brian Irons is completely gone in this version. We'll just have to see how it pans out in the main game and 
some of the gameplay i think it's been funny how a game like resident evil 5 gets trashed by so many people and yet i look at that liquor footage i look at the birkin battle footage and it's not that far away really in terms of how the game's played they're very similar you know the liquors even behave kind of the same so we'll just have to see i'd largely echo that opinion yeah it looks fine for what it is but yeah i'm very hesitant about all the changes they've made ada wong just looks ridiculous (laughs) but having said that you know the liquors they look good and the actual police station looks good it does look quite atmospheric but it just it doesn't feel like resident evil 2 for me but i know that's an easy thing to say without playing it so we'll just wait and see Rob? Yeah, as far as the look of gameplay goes, I'm I'm okay with it. I, I kind of see the sentiment of the Resident Evil 5 lickers. Obviously, they lick the numbers harder in difficulty, but there is some similarities. But as, a, as I think I've commented, not just to you guys, but other people as well, the, the files in the original kind of implied more to do with their blindness than really came across, I think, in the PlayStation original. Because it generally tended to know you were still in the room, regardless of how much you walked. So I guess that's one of the conventions of the newer version. Yeah, going back to Irons... I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out and I'm still indifferent about the Wong thing I mean I basically said this since I first shot in the trailer where she looked like she was wearing a trench coat I was like I don't mind them saying yeah the dress isn't very clever you know it just you know wasn't very untelling but the trench coat is just as bad like they've replaced it with the same thing that they're complaining about as far as I'm concerned because it's just like might as well scream I'm a spy but oh well waiting for the newspaper with whole eyes <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's still hard to judge I think it's pretty obvious and I think we're all in agreement that this is very much a reimagining and not so much a remake and it's just going to be interesting to see where it sits canon wise as we've established will it split a new line will it exist entirely on itself we won't know until after it comes out I guess I'm still very enthused about playing it I still am keen to see the takes on various things throughout the game as they stand so it hasn't dampened my enthusiasm for wanting to play it it's just it hasn't made it any better either I think going off on what you said the atmosphere Atmosphere looks particularly promising. Obviously, the lighting effects nowadays are so much better than they, they used to be. It looks like it's going to be a proper dark and creepy game and location to explore. I hope they can replicate that down the labs. The sewers, especially, should be a proper scare fest. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the labs. Will they go down the kind of Operation Raccoon City route and have it quite modern, or do they go and perhaps even remake one style of old? you know, almost flooded and dank and horrible. And that kind of goes back to the point as to where they see it in the kind of timeline and the kinesity, because what the Underground Labs from 91, when it was made, it was only like five, six years, seven years old when you explore it. So it'd be interesting to see what they where they go down with it. But I'm not happy with Irons. I thought, yeah, I didn't get it. I, I, I don't get that. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, looks fun. You know, I think it's going to be a fun game to play. What we'll say is it's a gameplay experience. And I've, I've said this before, if this was an original time, title yes i'll be completely all over it believe me um, yeah it'll be interesting to see actually because i don't think we've it, certainly in the resident evil world how the over the shoulder works in a proper survival horror setting i said resident evil 6 wasn't long enough really to see whether that worked in that in the kind of leon section well i just feel like yeah resident evil 6 is not a perfect example just because that leon stuff is quite stunted and i think we've talked about this before yeah. kind of the false pace that's put upon it and then it becomes slightly more action-packed as the chapters go on but yeah i definitely don't think that the camera doesn't mean it can't be scary or you know the light and the atmosphere definitely plays a lot on it as I said last time as well the, the concept of standing still for more accuracy and moving loses that accuracy also adds that tension to it I guess 
Yep. I think this is going back to the, the same voice in this concern as well, though. Like the footage we saw of the Birkin fight and getting quite hit around quite a bit is slightly disturbing as well in some respects. Like it's, I'm uncertain about that in the sense that the old games, if you played well, you could avoid damage. Here, it doesn't seem like you can't really easily not. Um, um, even with the liquors, like you're obviously getting jumped on and obviously have stab a knife into the liquor. If you don't have a knife, obviously you can't defend yourself. I do think a lot of that is down to some of the people that actually have played the game because when they first revealed that Birkin fight, the person who played it in that initial trailer or footage they released was terrible. Whereas if you watched um, like Cat's stream the other day, she had her and Street Fighter community manager play it and they did absolutely fine. They were just using the geography of the room to create space and um, it looked a lot more of a traditional battle, which relieved me somewhat. I haven't seen that footage, so yeah, that would do the same for me. Although, as I said, like the liquor thing, obviously, with them jumping on you, you have to have some sort of defensive weapon. But I guess in some respects, I can't really complain about that because it's it's akin to the original remake, if anything, that you've actually got this extra layer of protection. You know, you had the defensive weapons in there. My only concern is that it looked a bit formulaic. If I remember rightly, that most of the Birkin battles, aside from... G4, so the Wolfman, Birkin version, you're always in quite close areas where you're fighting him, either on a little gangway or platform. I think the um, the H platform as well, I think, the sewer, and on the train. It's all in very small areas where you can't have that freedom to get away from him and kind of regroup. You're constantly on it. The fight that we've seen seems quite a big area to kind of run around, take your time, fire. You know, it seemed a bit formulaic, but, you know, hopefully that's just off the first one and it gets a bit better. Well, as long as he doesn't turn into a giant... T-Rex, we're all good. That's true, that's true. (laughs) Okay, so um, we've got some other Resident Evil 2 news. The limited edition, collector's edition, is coming out. Very reasonably priced, I'm sure everyone would agree. (laughs) 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 But let's go through it. So what you get is the Steelbook, which is always, as everyone collects it, a 12-inch Leon Kennedy figure, a limited edition RPD keys, which do look very nice, I have to say, a collector's item box, the artwork and soundtrack CD, a Made in Heaven pin badge, and the RPD blueprint poster, which looks quite cool as well. It also comes with the Dulux DLC pack card, which includes... (laughs) The uh, the soundtrack for the original game, which is going to be very odd, I think. We'll see. Uh, but the original soundtrack of Resident Evil 2 played on the new game. And it comes with costumes for all characters. Uh, we'll talk about the costumes separately, I think, because there's discussion there. Um, and you also get the Albert model version of the Samurai Edge. Coming in at a very reasonable £230. So, yeah. <laughs> Just a third of no, someone's uh, mortgage. Yeah, I was... <laughs> I was going to say, because I, I can't remember the cost of things. How much does that equate to? Like, can you buy a console for almost that amount of money? You can get an Xbox One S with controller, two games for 230 quid. Because as I was going to say, because here it's priced at 500 New Zealand dollars, which is a ridiculous markup. It's one of the most expensive collectors. And this is, this is saying a lot, considering I remember Activision released a Call of Duty special edition with actual night vision goggles mm. once. Awesome. I swear that was like only $400. So that's ridiculous. For 500 bucks, that's quite insane. I've seen the stuff. There was a stream. Well, it was obviously a, a showcase thing at the Tokyo Game Show, but it was also streamed online where they showed the content from the collector's edition on stage. And the figure looks really nice. It's very detailed. The map, they showed the uh, poster diagram of you 
turn it over, it's got a map on the other side of it of the RPD. Like, it looks very nice, but, yeah, I'm not sure if it's that amount of money nice. It's quite expensive. It is. Well, the American version is a bit cheaper at $200, but they get the digital soundtrack, and it doesn't come with a steelbook or the keys. Or the pin, I think. Is the pin not in it as well? But the Japanese one has all that and those uh, Incribin tape things that you get one at random. Or if you buy the Super Duper Uber <laughs> Collector's Edition with the keyboard thing, it looks like a typewriter, it can all four of those. It's a proper mechanical <laughs> keyboard as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Clunky metallic thing, yeah. Oh, dear. Pretty crazy. It's one of those uh, things that if you were made of money, you'd get it. But, you know, for most normal people, there's no way you would ever get that past the other half. It's just utterly ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, the one they did for the original remake was sensible because you got an art book and the mansion schematics, which is similar to the RPD one, but the mansion one was a lot more detailed. It had loads of notes written over it by George Trevor. A detailed art book and a nice collector's box, and that was really cheap. That was only about £35 compared to £229 for this, which I know has extra stuff in it, but bloody hell. Did anyone get the 7 one there? Because I, I remember the issue with the game. I tried to order it, and then the... Uh, Baker residence thing got broken so yeah. they ended up cancelling it but nobody got it in the end I don't think over there but they, even that was much more reasonably priced it didn't include the game did it it only had a digital card it didn't include the game but even then without the game it was still much more reasonably priced it was not nearly anywhere as expensive yeah probably equivalently just as much almost and definitely the same in the United States because the one that rest in the United States had a different model of the Baker mansion it wasn't definitely that much expensive and that one did come with the game so the build why? quality of the uh, Baker residence wasn't very good though no, I seem to remember was it was, was that the US one either I think uh, okay because obviously the one that they did have for Europe was so fragile that they a whole bunch of them when they were shipped got <laughs> broken and got cancelled what have we done to upset Capcom that much we made this podcast <laughs> so if anyone wants it you can go to game to it's sold out oh is it oh, well, there we go you have to go to eBay and pay about 400 quid here it's no exclusive store exclusive so it was every stores that could sell stock here and I guess in Australia as well it must be the market sale the uh, PlayStation 4 version sold out pretty quickly I think some places still have a few Xbox versions left people have already put a bunch on eBay just having a look now 400 pound 630 pound <laughs> 550. Thanks very much. Can, all you, a shout out to all you guys who do this shit continually with collector's editions, you know. Well, this is the, part this, of the reason why they're so fucking expensive in the first place. Every single one of those could be removed from eBay right now because you have to physically have the item in your hand. Yeah. Otherwise it's considered drop shipping and uh, obviously it's not in stock because it hasn't been released yet. Right. So there's a bunch of people trying to mark it up and make money already. The Japanese remake collector's edition with the typewriter, 1,318 pounds buy it now <laughs> fucking hell go buy a normal yeah. typewriter it's bound to be cheaper just go down to your auction house and buy a typewriter <laughs> right so let's have a look at the um, the costumes I thought we could pay special attention to them my first uh, impression was the, the homage I thought to Walking Dead with the Arclay Sheriff outfit was very reminiscent of Rick from The Walking Dead yes yes I like that one I thought it was quite good both had a noir costume which the Leon one is clearly Sebastian from The Evil Within yeah that's a nifty little easter egg really nice homage to Mikami actually that is, I, I like that. Yeah. You have a noir costume in general. It's an you know, old-style police detective, but the colour tone in the style is exactly the oh, same. Yeah, it's it's right down to the loose tie is exactly the same tone. Claire comes with a military outfit, which is interesting. I think the one most people are interested in is the Elsa Walker homage. I know like with the original remake, they obviously gave Jill a 
Sarah Connor costume and uh, Chris's one is a Brad Pitt character from a movie, isn't it? The Mexican, yeah. Mexican. So, and obviously you've got uh, the Walking Dead reference with Leon's here. Is, is Claire's Noir or military lifted from a movie or anything? I'm trying to work out if it is familiar. It probably is from something, to be quite honest. The Noir one, I'm not so sure about. It could just be an equivalent they decided to do. A kind of Noir detective um, for Leon and decided to do the same for Claire. I mean, obviously it means Claire's got more costumes. I can't believe they've not put a classic one in for it yet. No, original RE2 gear you'd have thought would have been in there. They still had DLC they did for Zero obviously with the costume, with the t-shirts and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's always that possibility. The other thing is if you're going to do a Elsa costume for Claire, they should have something classic or random for Leon equivalently. Like maybe a version of one of the artworks where he's in his jacket or something, you know. Or or Grant Bitman. Yeah, exactly. But I guess it's not as well known. It's a concept out there as far as Elsa Walker was. I think that concludes gaming news. Site news. If you want to get in contact with us, we have set up a contact email address, which is pupodcast.hotmail.com. Questions, quiz questions, please send quiz questions. Please, please do. I, I, <laughs> I'm really struggling. <laughs> it got to a point where I was quite convinced in the quiz that I would trick everyone by going, what car is Ada actually driving in Resident Evil 6? Because Loma is not actually a Mazda MX-5, contrary to what Star's Tyrant will often tell you. But I don't know what car it is. So if anyone wants to tell me the car, Matt Lake... <laughs> <laughs> then I, w- I will use that in the quiz. So there we go. That's a little heads up. Let me clear that up there, Nick. I don't actually think I ever said that. I think you... that was your opening for your Resident Evil 6 review. It may have well been. I think you've My favourite biohazard moment oh. ever is chasing <laughs> an Ada clone Mazda MX-5. <laughs> well thrown back. <laughs> <laughs> That was Nick's favourite ever biohazard moment, he said, in that review. So yes, pupodcast.hotmail.com, you can send me questions, comments, whatever. Bigger site news is that both myself and Stars Tyrant have gone more social media savvy, should we say. As we've recorded this, my first YouTube video has been up for a couple of hours now, detailing, as you would have probably guessed, a confidential report, that underrated gem of a game series, uh, where I've done uh, everything you need to know about it. It's only a five-minute video. Um, I'd be grateful if you could watch it, see what you think, uh, and leave some comments. I've linked back onto it, more importantly, of the actual report that I did for um, Project Umbrella which have been de- not deleted but because the site is permanently broken uh, they're no longer on the site so I've put them onto Google Drive so you can download them uh, and read them in your own time Star's Tyrant on the other hand is now a Twitcher no no he's not a follower <laughs> of the lesser spotted booby but he's now an online streamer <laughs> yeah well I'm trying anyway tell us tell us all the, about your Twitching the, the idea for the channel is uh, originally was to you know do like a, a either a game discuss things Things that perhaps you wouldn't usually get, like localization issues with the files, you know, more interesting sort of angles like that. So with that in mind, the first thing we've decided to do is the RE4 HD fan project, which obviously has loads of really good story to talk about. Uh, it's going really badly. I've died quite a few times now doing it in a again and to try and sort of put a fresh spin with something that you've not maybe not seen before because there's so many Resident Evil streamers now and things we're playing it with real survival rules that we made up on a 
forum, I think it was um, the Horrors Alive years and years ago, which is where you basically don't use the merchant at any point in the game. So your, your weapons load out is essentially the handgun, the shotgun, and the broken butterfly magnum. And it, you know, it, it forces you to play Resident Evil 4 in a way that you, you're probably not used to. You've got to watch your ammo a lot more, your healing items. You put to the test a lot more because you'll take more damage because you've got no body armor. Weapons won't be as powerful, so fights are prolonged, and it, it's interesting. A few viewers, thank you very much to everybody. We'll just see how it goes. And how, how can we watch you? If you just go to uh, twitch.tv forward slash stars underscore tyrant, that's the channel. I will just do a quick shout out to the guys who were making the HD fan project, though, because this is the first time for me really sort of playing it. I've only previously seen videos and screenshots. The work is phenomenal to the point where I know we joke about this kind of thing all the time, but Capcom really needs to get this guy who's done this or this team and use this as the version going forward because the, the way they've rebuilt parts of the game, some structures have been redesigned to increase the polygon count, the textures look amazing. It, it really does at times look like a game release today. They've done such stunning work. Mm. And of course, keep everyone up to date on Twitter. PU podcast underscore O-Fish, O-F-F-I-C. There we go. It's, yeah, it really rolls off wow. the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. And of course, uh, anything that we do going forward with the the original content, if you like, on the PU podcast, that will be uh, linked onto Twitter and Facebook as well. So um, keep your eyes peeled. But we'll see how both of them go. If they're popular, we'll carry on. We've got some more ideas in the pipeline. And we'll just see what we'll see how these take. Yeah, that does conclude the news. The news appearing of breed of humans given birth by the progenitor virus. The Wesker children were entrusted with endless potential. Of them, only one survived. You. Are you saying I was manufactured? I was to become a god. (laughs) Creating a new world with an advanced race of human beings. still holds great significance. (coughs) Now my candle burns dimly. Uh, Ironic, isn't it? For one who has the right to be a god. To face his own mortality. It's already done. I've conquered fear and earned the right to become a god. All that remains is one final test. One last threshold to cross. My brother's escape was death. And soon, it will be mine as well. I will share in his fate, and then I will surpass him. So, 
Before we start our discussion on uh, Survivor 2, we're going to take a monumental detour and focus on Heavenly Island. Now, fans of the podcast will note that we, we love Mahara Desire. We talk about it as often as we possibly can. It became a bit of an ongoing joke about how often Mahara Desire <laughs> uh, appeared in the news. But that was taken over by Heavenly Island, which was the kind of follow-up manga anyway. And I have to be honest, I don't know too much about it other than it takes place on a couple of islands and it looks to be like the X Factor or American Idol. <laughs> So I'm just as eager as everyone else who goes, oh, you know, you may have heard of bits about that. You may have seen some bikini-bodied women with half-eaten torsos. Um, that's probably the extent that I know, and it does link in with some of the other games. So I'm very eager to uh, listen to what Batman has to say about it, and then I'm sure the other guys will also have a bit more knowledge about it than I do. So over to you. Well, the only reason I wanted to talk about this is because uh, I think talking about Gun Survivor 2 for two hours could be a bit dry for too many people and um, <laughs> this story, Heavenly Island finished in 2017 and has been released in pretty much every language apart from English and even Mahawa Desire eventually got an official English release but uh, that doesn't seem to be the case with Heavenly Island so uh, it remains one of the main canonical stories in the series that isn't actually available in English. You know, not a lot of people do know a great deal about it. So I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes just summarising the story, really. It's set in 2014, roughly a year after Resident Evil 6 and sometime before the tanker crash with Eveline and the beginning of Daughters in Resident Evil 7. As Neptune's already said, the basic plot is about the subsequent slaughter of the cast and crew of a reality TV series called Idol Survival, which involves scantily clad women playing survival games filmed by perverts on a deserted island setting. Um, it's basically an excuse for the artist to draw endless pages of you know voluptuous bikini models. But despite that, it does contain some important lore in the background with links to Resident Evil 5, both Revelations games and Umbrella Corps. Believe it or not, folks. <laughs> yeah. It's set on a small island in the Caribbean called Sonido de Tortuga, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's home to a small population and also contains a hidden umbrella facility which is hidden beneath the ruins of a former US military base. It turns out Oswell Spencer bought the land and many researchers moved across there in the mid-1990s to work on secret projects, but it was presumably closed down sometime before Umbrella's collapse and its location has remained a secret ever since. The cast of Idle Survival arrive on the island to begin filming, but soon upset a few of the locals and are invited to a religious ceremony by a mysterious shaman character who officially welcomes them to the island. But it turns out over a number of years people have been mysteriously vanishing from the island and they're quite scared of this shaman. Members of Idle Survival also begin to disappear and uh, become zombies. And added to this mix is a strange tyrant-like creature whose face is hidden behind a cool-looking tribal mask and he carries a large sort of harpoon weapon and he goes around spearing people at random. And the last sort of subplot that's going on is the island is also being investigated by TerraSave after they received reports of local fishermen being attacked by strange-looking fish in the bay. And this obviously introduces Claire Redfield and a new TerraSave character called Inez. The crew of Idle Survival also contains two spies from Shenya Pharmaceuticals, which is one of the companies introduced in Umbrella Corps. One of them is a man with quite possibly the best name in the entire series, Mike Seaman, and an Orient... <laughs> Yep, that's real. And uh, an oriental girl named either Zilly or Julie, depending on what translation you prefer. Shenya are looking for Umbrella's hidden legacy, and 
Mike, in his cover role as producer of Idle Survival, has made arrangements for filming to take place specifically on this island because this is where he feels Umbrella's secrets were hidden. He also believes the island houses a powerful B.O.W. that he wants to steal. All these events are tied back to the subplot found within the files of Lost in Nightmares from Resident Evil 5, when Spencer first tasked Alex Wesker to develop an immortality virus. Now, Tortuga Island was the place Spencer initially sent Alex with a research team and thousands of test subjects. As part of her research, she began the Kodoku Project, which is based on an ancient real-life Chinese curse. This essentially involves putting live insects of different species into a sealed pot and let them fight and kill each other until only one survivor remains. The fluids of this one survivor are then extracted and used as a poison to curse an enemy. And this is actually quite similar to how Vincent Goldman developed the Hypnos gene for the Hypnos Tyrant because yes. in order to create a creature with superior genes he had millions of cells fight mm. each other until only a superior one remained and this cell was used for the Tyrant. Alex Wesker used the Kudoku method with an experimental virus template. All the test subjects were injected, then made to fight each other in trials until only one victor remained. At the end of each trial, the recombinant strain would be extracted from the survivor's blood, and that strain was then injected into a fresh batch of test subjects for the next trial. And these trials continued, and at the end of each one, the victor would have its blood extracted, further improving the base genes of the virus. In 2006, when Alex finally deserted Spencer and left to join her followers on the island from Revelations 2, she left the Kodoku project behind, and in order to cover her tracks, she disposed of the research team by applying the Kodoku principle to each of them, killing them off one by one until only a single survivor remained. That survivor is a former Umbrella researcher from Germany named Dirk Miller, and if you actually read the comic, I shit you not, it is basically the actor Christopher Walken. It's literally, it is literally his picture. As he, as he is the sole survivor, he wins the complete trust of Alex Wesker, and she leaves the Kodoku virus in his hands. He's now left alone on the island, but because he has no test subjects or resources to continue the trials, he disguises himself as the shaman and uses voodoo and ritualistic practices to slowly rule over the locals through fear and gather a band of loyal followers. They began to kidnap villagers who were injected with the virus and then made to fight in new Kudoku trials. Two of these subjects were the warring brother and prospective husband of one of the comic's main characters, which is a girl called Marilou. As the virus grew stronger, it began to mutate the subjects, and the most powerful B.O.W.s were kept preserved in stasis. They had strong combat abilities and unmatched intelligence that were also imprinted with keywords to allow them to follow orders and not let anybody leave the island. Now, these trials continued over the next eight years, and eventually moved outside the facility until the whole island became the Kaduku pot for the experiments. And eventually, in 2014, only two subjects remained, one of which is our mysterious harpoon monster, and the other is the B.O.W. that Mike Seaman and Shengya Pharmaceuticals wanted to steal. Now, I won't spoil the specifics of what happens. I'm not going to go through the comic because it's far too long, but obviously you have Claire. She discovers the Umbrella facility on the island, which was owned by Spencer. She contacts Chris, but he's already on another mission, so he sends in the South American BSAA team, which includes Parker from Revelations 1. The hidden Umbrella facility is exposed. The Kodoku plan is completed with the final survivor and has the completed virus extracted from its blood. The comic mentions that even a drop of this virus is said to be worth millions of dollars on the black market. Julie, the spy wanting to steal it, calls a backup team and a team of special forces from Shengya Pharmaceuticals turns up all decked in full Umbrella Corps tactical gear, including zombie jammers which they purchased from Blue Umbrella. 
Uh, there's also other little links scattered within, including a hunter which guards the now abandoned Umbrella facility. A nice little detail that TerraSave and the BSAA launched a joint investigation into the identity of the Overseer, so they now all know about Alex Wesker and the entire Wesker Children project. One of the idle survival security guards is a former BSAA member who was the sole survivor of Josh's team in Kijuju in Resident Evil 5. So there's nice little bits in there, and uh, it's not a bad story, it's just uh, it's overshadowed by all this uh, sexualized, you know, yeah. Japanese manga style. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. My first question: This virus, why are there zombies? Because it's Is it a T virus. It's, it's, a, it's essentially just a T virus. Yeah, the zombies turn up because they're speared by the creatures running loose who are competing in these trials. If that I makes see. sense. I agree. Because the zombies have been infected by you know a virus that's been improved on all the time they do show signs of uh, increased intelligence compared to previous zombies you know they retain more memories of former lives and ca- yes. carry out menial tasks from from when there were villages oh, okay it certainly sounds a bit more interesting than what my horror desire was it's not bad i mean it is pretty shit and the end the ending's quite anticlimactic but there's some nice details in there and it's nice to have you know characters like parker come back and chris gets a cameo and yeah, it's a shame then. It, we can't. What languages can we pick it up in? It's in Spanish. It's in Portuguese. It's in uh, Japanese, German, French. That's very odd. And can you pick it up in trade paperbacks and yeah, that little yeah, you can. Like that, okay. Yeah, there is a couple of translations online with varying degrees of quality, but it's worth a read if you want to go through every story in the Resident Evil series. It's worth a read. There we go. Rob, have you picked it up at all? No, not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, this is very interesting. I was listening to this. It sounds like it could have been story told in, in various forms, but obviously the form editing is, is not going to appeal. But I mean, that's the thing if it hasn't been released in English, then. What you've said there, Batman, the way it's, the way it's kind of progressive, it sounds like they were almost making it up as they were going along. It seems like quite a few games were released as it was being written, so they just thought, oh, we, we, we can tie that in, tie that in. It seemed. Um, Almost too good to be true for it to have been planned right from the beginning to have a bits of like Umbrella Corps five six. It all seems very well, almost it, like fan made in that sense. It did have quite a troubled production because I think I'm pretty sure the first couple of issues came out before Revelations two, and it was billed as a prequel to that game. I think they were releasing issues weekly, but there were several times throughout its run where they stopped and didn't release anything for like two or three months. And then it suddenly resumed, and all of a sudden you had Umbrella Corps soldiers in there and other stuff. So it wouldn't surprise me if it did change as it went on. But it's quite cohesive, though. It's not bad. I mean, I'm just pleased they sort of finished off the the missing pieces from the Lost in Nightmares subplot, because that was one of the disappointing things about Revelations 2 when it first came out, was that it turned out to be a completely unrelated island, and what Alex Wesker was doing was pretty much unrelated to, you know, what was started in Lost in Nightmares. So I'm glad they've now finished that story. Cool. Well, thank you so much for that. I think uh, everyone listening will be interested in that, and then you know they may be able to go and pick it up if they uh, they want to add to their canon collection. A game they may not have in their canon collection is Survivor 2. So let's turn our attentions to the main topic of the podcast.
The Resident Evil Survivor 2. I remember, I remember it very well. I remember the game being announced, and I remember a particular magazine doing a, a double-page spread on how shit this game is going to be. At the time, Capcom had just announced that all new games were coming out on GameCube. So, uh, Zero, One, and Four, and the future was certainly not on PlayStation. And I think it was PlayStation World Magazine. Just put a whacking great gravestone with the zombie from Resident Evil 1 going, if this is to be the final game on PlayStation, it is a terrible <laughs> ending to what was a great series that started on the uh, PlayStation system. So, I remember reading that before having the game going, hmm, do I want to spend £40 on this title? I did. I did, but there we go. So, uh, Survivor 2 first started out as an arcade game, originally called Fire Zone, I believe. Uh, before yes, before getting the Survivor 2 tag, because that had gone down so well as Survivor 1, um, and then adding the Co-Veronica subtitle on there just to just to make it even more of a mouthful when saying the game. So first impressions, <laughs> uh, be nice, uh, Batman. What was your what's your views of this game when it came out and now? Well, I can't remember much about it because, like you, I I paid full price for it when it first came out, and I remember taking it home, and it, it was just awful. Thinking back now, it's difficult to describe, you know, to find the words for just how shit it looked. You know, considering <laughs> the the quality of the titles from the series back in the day, this was just awful. It was just terrible. I remember I took it back to the shop pretty much straight away and got as much of my forty pounds back as I could, and I've never touched it since. I just thought the graphics were absolutely terrible. There's no voice acting in the game. It's all text. The controls were shit. Yep. There was no story. It just didn't appeal to me at all. And, yeah, it's... Oh, no, I don't even like talking about it. Horrible. <laughs> wow, there we go. Stars Tarrant, what was your, what's your brief impressions of the game? I was pretty fortunate because I lived um, quite near Meadow Hall and back when it first came out as an arcade game, they actually had a Biohazard Gun Survivor 2 version ah. in, in their arcade. So I, got, I was actually able to play, long before it came out as a PlayStation 2 game, the original arcade experience and it had a very interesting sort of gun controller. It wasn't a light gun game, you actually used it like an Uzi and it, it turned and moved like a controller and you just pulled the trigger to fire. And you know what? Sorry, wasn't it effective like a giant D-pad? Yeah, and it twisted, and, you know, and that's how you turn to yeah. left and right. But you know what? Playing it, me and my cousin played it, and we, we put enough money in it to finish it. And by the time we'd finished, we actually had a small little, you know, small crowd around us. And you know what? I, I was into it. it. It wasn't bad. The PlayStation 2 version, which I picked up a few years later, you know, hoping to sort of get that feeling of nostalgia back, is atrocious. It is, oh, it, it's so slow and clunky to the point where I got so frustrated with the, the PAL version that, um, I think I mentioned it before, I've actually patched it using a fan patch to 460Hz on it, which makes it a little a little more bearable. But it just has all the problems that were inherent to the PlayStation 2 version of Code Veronica, or, you know, extended loading times, and it, uh. it, it just looks horrific now. And it's not so much more fun to play either. You've had the experience of playing it, in theory, how it should have been played, in the arcades. It wasn't terrible at the arcade, the PlayStation 2 version. Even with the added content, like the dungeon mode, the files, which mm. still don't we'll make get it count. We'll, still don't make uh, we'll get to them, we'll get to them. Okay. Rob? I remember, I didn't buy it when it came out. I actually rented it, which is a foreign concept probably to a lot of people these days and spent like two days with it and went okay yeah that's fine and then I didn't really I mean I, I was just like ah, it's a shooter 
and it's pretty much what I expected. No voice acting, very straightforward. And then maybe about a year or so later, I picked it up pre-owned, I think. And I remember actually spending a large amount of time with it and preparing a review and coverage for it on what was then Resident Evil Fan for the website's review page and really struggling to actually explain how bad it actually was. Um, I think it was a lot because there was a lot of people, uh, especially, and we'll probably touch on this a little bit, obviously, um, in America who hadn't played it and wanted to know what it was about and what it was like. And, yeah, there's a few good things to it that I enjoyed, but for the most part, it's it's pretty shocking, as I recall. And then uh, having picked it up again this week, all this memories of playing through it all came flooding back. and uh, And I managed to complete a large chunk of everything in the game i think i maxed out the ai partner to level eight i went through all the dungeon modes uh and finished most of them i think or i got so far and then gave up <laughs> um but i was quite far in and i went back and found the original save file i had for it on my memory card and uh and sure enough yeah it was the case yeah pretty painful <laughs> so, you're, so you're basically saying that the English language hasn't developed enough to, for you to be able to accurately describe how bad you thought this game was. <laughs> I'm going to swing that around and say, on the positive side, I think the fact that there's enemies in it that aren't originally from Code Veronica and their models match the style of the game is pretty impressive. So you've got Lickers and uh, the Nemesis and uh, was it the Drain Demos? From Resident Evil 3 is really cool like I really like that fact and like fundamentally there is if the controls weren't so difficult there would be a fun shooting game in here and I that's the other part of it I remember when I rented it out I played it with the gun and Ooh. it's worse than it is on the controller like how can you make <laughs> a gun game and then it's worse on the gun than it is <laughs> on the controller because the controller is really awkward in that you aim with the left stick and you turn with the shoulder buttons, but that still makes more sense than the way the layout was on the gun, which I'm struggling to remember now, but I think it was like hold the left button to turn left and hold the right button to turn right. Yeah, it was similar, yeah. It was really <laughs> horrible. Um, I'm just going to throw a random bit of trivia out there because I was just going to say this is very interesting. I remember, if you guys know, John, who ran the uh, the Horrors Alive, had a very extensive collection of Resident Evil. He did. I had it, items, didn't he? So and he had the full two-player cabinet. Didn't it cost him about £3,000? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, which is, seems excessive, but considering it was a double screen mounted giant cabinet with two giant guns, I kind of feel like he probably got it cheaper than it was probably worth the manufacture in the first place. It's <laughs> still cheaper than Remake 2 Collector's Edition, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Just I've been being flabbergasted by the fact that he had that thing in his house. True fan. True fan. But I suppose if you're a Silent Hill fan, you'd long to play Silent Hill the arcade. It's that kind of works, so that's actually good fun. Oh, is it? <laughs> that's just like a House of the Dead-style uh, light-gun shooter, but it works because it, it has the look of Silent I mean, obviously it's not scary or anything like that. I don't know how I would have felt if it was its own game, but the fact that it... it I don't know. It just, it's clearly inspired from the battle, the first-person battle mode, wasn't it? Yes, the menus on the game, even for character selections, you use the same as the battle mode system, with the same... Look, really. The best thing I can recommend people do is change the control scheme to I think it's C or whatever, which puts turning back on the left analog and strafing on the shoulder buttons, and then just pretend you're playing the PlayStation version of Doom and circle strafe oh. to your heart's content. 
So let's look at the uh, let's look at the game a bit more detail. So we'll start with arcade mode, which is the main story mode. <laughs> story. <laughs> you'll quickly introduce to Claire in the in the graveyard, and then you'll quickly realise this is nothing like what I've played previously. Steve's already with you. On the plus side, you don't hear his moaning voice, but then you don't hear the the wonderful tones of um, Claire's voice actor, which we will all miss from Resident Evil Two. But there we go. So it's five levels set on Rockford Island so he starts in the prison you then end up at the uh, kind of training facility in the airport official residence private residence not necessarily in that order battling various BOWs that you've encountered through Code Veronica with the twist with the twist ladies and gentlemen of Nemesis turning up so most arcade games have a countdown timer you know because you're using up your pounds worth yes yes this is a countdown timer, but the game does not end. No, it does not. When your when your timer ends, instead you're introduced to a. I say cutscene. I think that's a generous term. You're introduced to the nemesis breaking through various doors or wherever it works. It's a cutscene. I'll give it a. It's a cutscene. There we go. <laughs> Looking probably worse than he did in Resident Evil 3. But I think it's in style of the Code Veronica-esque 3D monsters. I think it's an yes. approximation. He looks less detailed in some respects, but he looks like what the other monsters in the Code Veronica engine look like, which is kind of slightly blocky and not quite... More robotic-like. Mm. Yes. Yeah, think Apocalypse Nemesis well, as opposed to Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. And then, of course, when the timer comes, he comes and he chases you and he's invincible in um, arcade mode. So that's your threat, if you like, of trying to get to, to the end of the level before the timer comes out until you reach level 4 where he comes anyway. And then he's stalking you throughout the rest of the level. So, interestingly, when the timer does run out, you hear that the biohazard klaxons go off, which does ironically happen in Veronica when you first enter into the training facility and the biohazard is or something like that detected. They reuse the same asset. So I remember replaying Code Veronica after playing Survivor 2 and wondered if the Nemesis had been released. But there we go, who knows. Because <laughs> it was the same music, you never know. Oh. Yeah, so the arcade mode takes place exclusively on Rockford. You don't get to go to Antarctica and yet you battle creatures from the Antarctica terminal, uh, including the spider, giant green black widow spider, and Nosferatu as well. And sections of the uh, of the map are rejigged, taken from the Antarctic base and put yeah. into the Rockford Island area. That's right. So yeah. once you get to the private residence, all of a sudden you've got yes. like mansion hall and like yeah things are not in the same order as they are in the original game you'll go through a door that used to lead somewhere and it's a different layout or that's right that's right so it is very much an abridged version of code veronica i think it's probably the most um super abridged that doesn't chris it's basically just clear and steve yes Replaying it recently in preparation of the podcast, I, I think Sean was spot on with regards to the controls. They really punish you as you're going along. The camera automatically, on the kind of default settings, pans down. If you're, you know, if it, say you like shoot a zombie and it kind of falls down, the camera seemingly then pans down on its own. You're like, well, I don't care about him. I want to run past him. But then you can't. They're kind of, you're kind of looking over you, and it's very, very odd, very clunky, and, and I think you're right, very slow as well in trudging through through the levels. I mean, how do you actually get a critical hit? Does anyone actually know? I know it just pops up. I just run fast and aim. <laughs> I see really. Oh. Boom! You gotta run. It always seems to be for me when they're really close, so they have yeah. to be, and it must be yeah. a particular point on on them that just hits, and it. But I don't know. I've never worked out how that happens. I seem to get it a lot on uh, hunters, especially they come flying at you. And the game was cheap. It was nasty at times because sometimes you cannot avoid some hits. 
you open oh, the door. You open and so- yeah, I get into a habit of, uh, well, I was say as soon as it loads, because you've got your loading scene, and then you've got your now loading scene, <laughs> and then just firing immediately as soon as the door's, you know, as soon as it's loaded, I'm just, before it's even appeared, just in case. Things yeah. like that are just inherent to the making you burn through money, isn't it, of the arcade version? Mm-hmm. It's why it's unfair. Oh, is that what it is that what it's designed to do? <laughs> yeah, it's a classic arcade thing, isn't it? Just be unfairly hard, so you just keep putting pound coins in. Obviously, the game limits you to continues, you know, until you hit a certain time. I think after two hours, you unlock an extra continue or something. Is that how it oh, works? Oh, right? I can't remember. You, you to get something like four hours logged in the game, and you get an additional. Second yeah, I, yeah, I think I think you do because currently, when I reloaded my old save, I had three continues available to me, and my AI partner was like level eight, yeah. which I think is the maximum. I'm not sure. Were so, they actually useful? They're useful in that they distract them a lot, <laughs> um, which, is kind of, which is kind of good because it means you don't get hit. I mean, I was able to finish the first two stages without actually getting hit at all, and I've just replayed it this week. But they do die. And then you're left by yourself, which is kind of not so good because they then all the attacks are put on you. Um, and they do magically and, reappear for the end cutscene. Yeah, they reappear for the cutscenes, and if you die and use a continue, then they reappear when you continue. Yeah. But you lose all your points, so if you've been massing points for the score, which obviously doesn't mean anything really, the score resets back to zero when you die. So on top of uh, playing through this, there's destructible crates, almost a, a prerequisite of first-person light gun games. They can hide new weapons, first-aid sprays, uh, well, first-aid packs, I think, in this game, actually, as opposed to sprays. But okay, I got quite, kind of quite steady corrected that they're called fast-aid packs, which always annoys me. Are they? There's so many translation errors in that I never well. knew, I didn't know it's... And then it, it, it will punish you as well, because sometimes if you go shooting at them, there'll be uh, a hunter or uh, a POW or a Cerberus in there, in the box as well, so that um, spices things up. You can also, I'm sure you can change the blood colour at the beginning. Okay, when I replayed sure. it, all my Cerberus were like green, looking like covered in mucus. You can change it between red and green, and yeah, you can shoot boxes, and there's also uh, barrels as well. You can shoot. Yes, for more explosive results. But that requires a lot of planning and preparation. One thing I did find my memory of it was quite poised that there is a bit of exploration that you can do if you really wanted to. It's not quite as linear as perhaps the kind of opening bits where it shows you go here, get the key here, come back. You can explore and go off piste if you like, more so in this game than the Umbrella Chronicles series, which only has like a number of alternate paths or random rooms to go in. But um, you, you can actually go into a couple of rooms, like in the prison facility, going into the, the office at the beginning. Yes, you face a hunter, but you can get a shotgun and things like that. So that's something. I mean, it kind of works, but you kind of also get punished for it because you waste time. Then the, the, the time. I thought replaying it, it was a game that, you know, the, the, the traditional Resident Evil player would want to explore. They wouldn't necessarily be put off by the nemesis. Um, I know he's invincible, but then it's also designed for speedrunners as well, in the sense that, you know, there's the big green arrow, follow that go through that and you know if you want to complete it as quickly as possible then you can um, then you can go through that can throw it that way so there's that option I'm being nice I'm being nice the, the, the control scheme is trope and I'm tempted to retry it with the uh, suggestion you put there Sean of in doom mode see if that makes it play any better yeah I mean the first person games years ago you know, in the PlayStation 1 Saturn era, used to have the sidestepping on the shoulder buttons, so it's a bit yeah. more intuitive than using them to turn. I used to play Quake 2. Was yeah, that how... same, same as that, yeah. Was it the same, was it, yeah? 
Batman, did you want to comment on Arcade Mode? I can't remember much about it, if I'm honest. I it's going to be the quietest he's ever going to be about any of these topics, I swear. Yeah, so sorry. I, I, re- I really can't remember much about it other than how poorly it played and how awful it looked. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. In, in, in terms of its kind of graphical, why did it look so poor? Because taking the speed element out of it for power regions, I know the, obviously it was based on the assets of, of the Dreamcast, you know, Co Veronica, but was Co Veronica that bad looking on PS2? No, it wasn't, I don't think. I think at the time of the time of CRT TVs and that, it, it looked fine. That's why the HD version released on PS3 and Xbox 360 looks a lot better because they hide a lot of the texture problems and that with the new lighting engine. Well, it's got Maybe. a completely different grain and image yeah. quality to the, the HD version. You have to bear in mind that when you do a camera angle style game, the, the, the camera angles are chosen to you know show off that geography as good as it can. Um, when you're then putting a character in the heart of it you know you start to see all the flaws of the the geometry and things like that it's to the point where they've they've clearly made no effort to put in like geometry or scenery where you couldn't see it originally it's just a blank void walled off with a you know low quality texture wall or something there's nothing beyond it does it look worse than battle mode did i don't remember battle mode looking that bad no i remember battle mode being quite crisp but the Dreamcast version was always much more crisp than the PlayStation version. The PlayStation 2 version, and I think Survivor 2 has it as well, has that really awful uh, blur filter as well. Yeah, there's a sampling or blur to it. It's very much of the early PlayStation 2 games. Yeah, yeah it's just weird blur. I don't know how to describe it. Going back to the enemies, I'll actually use this opportunity to chuck in one of the questions we've been sent on Twitter by at StrongestHuman. Yes. Um, Rob, you just mentioned how they, that you feel that they've done a good job of sort of reimagining the enemies in the Code Veronica style. So his question was, there are a few Resident Evil 3 enemies in the game aside from Nemesis who has drained Emos and wasn't sure what else had been added. Are they brand new models or are they just retextured is essentially the question. They're definitely brand new because I don't think they've been taking the models directly from the PlayStation because as it was pointed out Nemesis doesn't look quite like he does in 3. It's, it's an approximation I think maybe some of the texture work might have been used but the Demos looks an approximation the Lickers again they look like an approximation, they sound like the Resident Evil 2 ones all the sound effects that have been taken like Nemesis sound effects are all taken from 3 so they're literally wholesale grabbed but yeah. What I found quite interesting was with the Licker, obviously in, the, in Resident Evil 2 and Survivor and that, the liquor just drops down and then it, it fights you on the floor. I was actually quite surprised when one I was fighting in the arcade mode earlier actually like leaps back onto the wall and then continued to sort of scutter away down the corridor. So they actually have programmed some basic AI of how a liquor would behave. It's just something I noticed. Mm. Could they have used something from Survivor 1? Because obviously Survivor 1 had liquor in it. No, the model in, the model in Survivor is the one from Resident Evil 2. It's the same as the zombies that have been taken wholesale from Resident Evil 2. Right. And the Mr. X textures as well, they're all literally the same models from Resident Evil 2. And I have to say, it's my biggest disappointment of this game was that it was just not as good as Survivor 1. Because <laughs> I, I, I as we often say, I really do like Survivor 1 for, for what it is. And um, there's an opportunity, in theory, to tell a completely different story within the Code Veronica environment, which it didn't do. Sadly, but there we go. Okay, so we'll talk about some of the other implications of arcade mode, namely the files, uh, a bit later on. But that's just one of the modes, and so to make the game a bit more palatable at the uh, £40 price mark, they introduced a couple of other modes. The first being dungeon mode, which is basically a whole new game in itself. 
arcade mode doesn't exactly take a long time, half an hour, 40 minutes to complete arcade mode. But dungeon mode can go on for bloody ever, if you've ever had the misfortune of playing it. So uh, three levels, you've kind of got the, uh, it's like an underground cavern system, I can't remember what it's called, and then there's also a clock tower level, and then inferno. Sorry, I was going to say the underground one is called underground. So you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Why am I a scriptwriter for Capcom? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and then yes, yeah, so Inferno mode. I've, I've not actually played it, and I, I didn't know it existed until I was uh, just um, preparing. And which is setting in a an umbrella lab type environment um, full of mazes. So dungeon mode is quite interesting because it's it's like a very much a on the rails, just shooting, not even worrying it's about not, really. It's not on rails. Oh, so not on the road. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean on the road. It's a maze, um, isn't it? It's like a big labyrinth. Yeah. Yes. Well, they're, they're not really a labyrinth. They've got an A to B point because at the end you have to fight a boss. But you usually yes. have other criteria to uh, fit in each of the challenges. And I think it's like five or six per map. And you unlock each one by completing the one previous. And this is where we really go back to the graphical limitations because they are so repetitive and mundane. I lost the will to live in the underground one. I just could not find the way to go, and I was just ended up just back where I started, which is the the only that's the only different room is the opening bit because you're kind of walking on a bottomless pit corner, and then you kind of go uh, into the under. There's a few other areas that are in between. There's a section that's got like an, another open canyon, and then the room afterwards has got the uh, gulp worm in it. Yeah, so I've never got that far. I, uh, it doesn't really take that long to get to that point. It's about I don't know three minutes if you follow the this is what i was trying to say like it seems like it's a labyrinth but if you follow the pathways they really only take you in one new direction um eventually you always end up can end up in the right way as long as you because you realize when you've got to an area where you've already been you can tell because there's no enemies and you just try a different door and it takes you to another area which eventually loops around there's no way of, of actually really getting lost it just seems to be that way at first until you actually is it right I was losing the will to live, I have to be honest. Uh, I remember that the, the clock tower one was a bit more interesting, albeit it was kind of like a, um, it's all like wooden cladding, I suppose is the best term to use, uh, which is a bit more exciting. But um, The Inferno mode, if you play that, you get to face multiple tyrants as the kind of end boss. So you can get to fight two TO-78s in the same room. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's, that's your reward. That is your reward. Oh, you really are selling this, Nick. I'm try. I'm trying. I'm. I'm trying. But um, the room is. is it's like a. Um, well, it's, it's a whole new area, I suppose. But it's an umbrella lab that's got sliding doors with the umbrella logo, and you, it, it, it's just basically the same game. You just kind of wander around, fighting all the creatures. You, you fight a giant sweeper. I think you fight the spider again before you end up facing two TO78s. And that's it, I think. I think that's that's all you do. Unless <laughs> <laughs> it's just. <laughs> they'd probably put about 20 minutes of effort just making, you know, because there's no real differentiation between the rooms that you're in, it must have taken minutes to create but hours of frustration <laughs> hours of frustration but you can go through all that pain to have the only chance in the series Rodrigo is playable yes, <laughs> you can play as Rodrigo uh, and he has a knife him. that's his only weapon, he's the Albert Wesker of, uh, of the title that's correct but you can't see him because it's first person. So it's, <laughs> well, it, you can kind of see him in the, when the camera does the same weird thing. It does the whole outside of the. What it's looking at, yeah, yeah, yeah. For all of the faults of dungeon mode, the game is saved because of versus Roachman. 
Which is without doubt like that. Oh, you are missing out, my friend. Versus Roach mode is probably the best minigame Resident Evil has ever had outside of the mercenaries from Resident Evil 3. It is brilliant fun. It is absolutely quality. It's not brilliant fun. It's great. It's great. It's got a laser. That's what makes it brilliant in the last level. The last level of Versus Roach mode, where you just got to shoot down those bloody moths. Yeah, it's great. You You get a laser in the room. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's exactly what Paul Anderson was going for. <laughs> I don't understand okay. why you find it so fun. I found it exceptionally tedious. Like, oh, there's some roaches running around the walls and I must shoot them with my magnum. Is the final <laughs> reward, Nick, for doing versus roach mode a 3D remake of Confidential Report? <laughs> we, can, we can only hope. What, can what hope. is the reward for finishing it? I don't know. Just get a congratulations. And <laughs> that feeling of completion... You should try it. Don't mock it. You should try it. It's good fun. It's a great little game. Better than raid mode, which is bollocks, and all that shit. I ain't got time for that. You just want to blast some roaches. They should all have it. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a mini game. That's that's what mini games are supposed to be. Oh, not raid mode. So, just going back anyway. to arcade mode quickly. What reward do you get? Do you get Nemesis as a final boss if you pick up the jewels? That's correct, yes. Yeah. He comes in after you uh, blast down Tyrant, just as you're about to go into the uh, hangar the aeroplane Nemesis comes and you fight, and you can actually kill him at that point that's the reward but I did feel going through the because yeah going in arcade at level 4 you're being chased by Nemesis and Alexis they did boss of that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. yes it was I thought it was quite good because they used the right music from Code Veronica and it kind of like it was you know it was quite good quite tense it's reminiscent if you like of Resident Evil 3 so um I think we should touch on the biggest elephant in the room when it comes to Survivor 2 is its canonicity. Now, I'm sure Batman's going to comment a bit more on this because that's the thing. That's its enduring legacy, is it not? And how it suddenly gained some footing following the release of Resident Evil 7. So for people who are not in the know, Survivor 2, despite it being a dream sequence, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, yes. in theory it takes place whilst Claire's asleep after being rescued by Chris in the Antarctic and she's having a dream about what she's been through despite never meeting the nemesis so you know take that how you like it so the game itself you could argue oh, I was totally non-canon because of it or you could go well it's kind of canon it's this kind of grey canon 4D executor type of thing but then the game throws in some files and to be fair not to be dismissed quite detailed files I was just going to say so detailed they call it Lockfort Island they do make a bit of a tip up. There is lots of translation errors in there. I'm sorry, I'm just yeah. going to interrupt and go backwards for a second. I'm um, just to confirm, you actually do get something for finishing versus roach mode, and that oh, is when you finish versus roach mode, you unlock the Panzerfaust EX to use in the mode, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> so your reward is to win a giant rocket launcher, basically, to use to blow up roaches. Yeah, How that's stupid. good. <laughs> Go back to the uh, the files. So we've got the diary of a chief warden, which I believe is a uh, similar from the one in Code Veronica, the main game. I don't think that one is in Code Veronica. I think this is um, it's originally is this, written for this game. The one about the spider. Who, yeah, grows the spider. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just a foreshadowing for the because isn't the spider the boss fight in for one of the opening levels in the prison? Yeah, it's the yes. First, first, first. That's true. Even though Black Widow spiders didn't appear on Rockford Island, they only appeared in the Antarctic Terminal. 
because black widow spiders are native to Antarctica. Uh, no, I think there were. I think you fight a couple as Chris in Code Veronica while he's still on the island. In the the underground passage that leads to the hangar where he gets the yeah. plane. Yeah, sure that's yeah. true. Yeah. Oh, oh, there we go. See, cannon already. Then. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about all of these files is that they are inconsequential because they all reference things that happen in Gun Survivor 2 as opposed to Code Veronica, but a few of them, they don't make any difference, so you could treat them as canon because they don't affect anything. Like the, the one about the spider, the Gun Survivor 2 guidebook says this spider was secondary infected before HCF bombed the island, so you could say, well, yeah, that, that could have happened in the original Code Veronica. It doesn't make any difference. No. And the file that explains Nemesis, it basically says the Umbrella Intelligence Department feared that the rival company were going to attack the island, so Nemesis T-Type was sent as a security measure, and it was programmed to attack all non-Umbrella personnel, which explains why it chases Claire and Steve around. And again, it's inconsequential. You could say, well, no, that's bollocks, it didn't happen, or you could just say, well, the Nemesis was there, but it never got activated. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I just go back to my point about, because of the music and the sound effects they use to activate it in Survivor 2 is the same as when there's that leak, I think it's a gas leak or something like that, in Code Veronica, it's the same. Because it's stored in the shutter place where you fight the gobworm. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's kind of implied is where it is. So, um, But the interesting well, thing, the nemesis... It depends on the, it depends on the, the level in which, in which level it is, because the first time yeah, he's behind the garage door, so I don't think it is where the gobworm is. I, I can't remember, is it the, where the gobworm is? Is it the one the prison yard one, where in the actual game it's not that, it's uh, where the fire extinguisher is. <laughs> and then like in the... Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. So in the the first time you see him at prison level, and he's behind the metal shutter where the yeah the fire extinguisher is in the main game, and then right. in the second level he smashes through the roof of the the save room upstairs on the second floor. He smashes through the roof on the training facility. It's the little save room before you go into the garage where Steve smashes Matrix style through the window. So it differs depending on where it is. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, mm, we argue canon in a game that wasn't yeah. probably ever intended to be. So. Exactly. I don't, uh, yeah, I, but I don't like the idea there's more than one nemesis, though, to be honest. Well, I do, I, because it was such a success in Raccoon City. It's, it seems odd to me why they would never replicate it. I get for in-game purposes it would lose its effect if they kept bringing it back all the time, but from a practical point of view... I like to think there would yeah. be more than one. You'll be surprised to hear I don't have a problem with multiple nemesis. And the Nemesis. Nemesis. This one is from America. It specifically says in the files that it's from the US branch as opposed to the European branch, which we know to de- okay. which is what developed the nemesis. Uh, okay, so the one in three which lands in America is from Europe. And yes. the one that's in Co-Veronica that's in South America comes from America. That's right. <laughs> yeah, okay. Smile and nod. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> We've been doing that for 20 years, though, with parts of the canon, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, though, I think people like to overstate the importance of these particular files because they're the first ones to actually reference HCF. You know, in, are, a, in yeah. a proper sort of formal context, even though mm. the references to them are gibberish. Like one file, for example, talks about Wesker and his men encountering Alexia on Rockfort Island, which we know, for obvious reasons, doesn't actually happen. And all this file really is doing is foreshadowing your eventual boss encounter with her at the end of that particular level on Gun Survivor 2. So that's not canon. I was just going to say, even though you can't read the files in-game, you actually have to finish your current playthrough and then... Yeah... And then read them from the menu. It's, yep. it's stuffed, isn't it? You find them on the each item that's the, like a typewriter or whatever, mm. and with the 
Yeah. But then again, fifth file with Claire saying it was all a dream is quite a clever way to explain the jumbled up geography. Because, you know, if she's dreaming, she can't remember exactly what's what. That could explain the, the weird randomised layout. And I think one of the files, I think it's the one about the reference to Steve's dad leaving a message on the cell wall. I think that one was actually copy and pasted into Dark Side Chronicles, which maybe gives it a bit more credibility. But overall, they're just completely inconsequential. It's It's not really worth debating, really. If you include them, fine. If you don't include them, it doesn't really make any difference. You're not missing out on any game-changing information. And I think that's one of the big questions a lot of our American friends have. Um, they've not been able to easily get the game, or if they could get the game, they're going to have to get a specialist PlayStation 2 or chip their existing PlayStation 2 to find it. Should they do it? Should they actually go to the expense of playing this game? I think your answer there was probably categorically no. Um <laughs> In terms of gameplay, and and the files, of course, you can easily access online if if you really want them. If you already had your console chipped, or you you had access to a PAL console, and you could get the game for like next to nothing, and you were that hardcore of a fan, then sure, why not? Because it's not really going to cost you anything other than time and sanity and pride, maybe. But other than that, no. (laughs) This is interesting. George Trevor, who sadly can't be uh, with us uh, for the podcast, your point, Rob, is spot on, and what George mentioned to me. It was Capcom's first real big mistake with the franchise, and there was that desire at this point for fans, especially in America who couldn't get it, to actually have it go, well, why are we missing out on a Resident Evil game? It's bound to be you know, brilliant, because they had such a you know, pretty good well, track record going forward. This had already kind of happened with the original Survivor, because you must remember at that point, the release of Survivor was delayed. It didn't come out in the States till was it August or September of 2000? So there was already a delay, and that was based off the fact there was, it was a gun game, and then the gun support got removed in the back of the Columbine shootings and sensitivity to gun violence. And so it delayed the game there as it was, and there was already the questions from people in the States about that the first time. Oh, is, what's wrong with Survivor? It's not very good, and all that sort of stuff. And then eventually it came out, and they were able to make their own judgments on it. It was delayed, but it did come out. So it, this was just happening again. You've got to also put it in the time frame because you had still the core base mostly going to PlayStation, who'd been on the PlayStation. Code Veronica had gone to the Dreamcast and then had been ported to the PS2. But the majority of the fan base still had PS2s. I mean, the PS2 ended up being the highest-selling console, not only of its own generation, but still I think it's one of the highest overall selling consoles of all time. So, of course, people were wanting to play the game on that. And also you've got to remember that Resident Evil 4 at this point was still expected to be on the PlayStation 2, was delayed. So any game that was coming out that was potentially going to keep the franchise alive. This is also in the era where Capcom was porting the other games to just about every other console. You'd had the Nintendo version of Resident Evil 2, it'd come out on GameCube and Dreamcast, all stuff all around this time between kind of 2000 and 2003. You had a bunch of PS2 games also come out. You had this come out, you had Dead Aim, you had both the outbreaks coming afterwards, you know. So there's, they just, there was some, also some expectations that even though the PAL version had come out when it had, then maybe it was just going to be the same case that it was going to be delayed. You know, it was going to be another seven or eight months before a US version came and it just never did. But I think that's because Capcom USA looked at it and it's not going to sell. There's no point. This game's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's not going to sell, which also then begs the question, why did it get released in Europe? In some ways, I'm kind of surprised at that because obviously it got released in Japan as well. But yeah, it's a very, very interesting thing. I was actually just thought of something too I was going to bring up right back at the start. Can we talk about the box art for this game? I was about to say box art. I was good. Yes. Because 
it is classed as one of the worst box arts of all time. Interestingly, I can see where they were going with it, because if you have the PlayStation 2 version of Code Veronica X in European areas, you have Claire's face with the zombie reflected in her eyes. So what they've done for Survivor 2 is just taken the same concept and put it in reverse. It's the zombie with clear reflectors in her eyes. See, the problem is the quality of the zombie artwork is like the lowest quality imaginable. <laughs> and it just looks weird. And it's just like, it is one of the, it is definitely one of the worst box arts I've ever seen in my life, as true. far as modern eras go. Which um, is a shame, because the general artwork for the actual game was tolerable. They made a bunch of really specific artwork for the arcade game, which would yeah. have been much more suitable. Which and, they use some of in the Japanese cover, don't they? Yes, yeah. The Japanese cover is based off one of the artworks. And there's some, actually is some nice artwork. There's one with um, Tyrant coming out of the flames, and because uh, obviously the fire zone concept with the thing had a lot of flame and yeah. fire imagery around it. The Tyrant does um, look bizarre, though. It does look bizarre, but it still the concept looks nice, and mm. even just using that, and yeah, someone it looks like someone slapped that together in about three minutes, and we know there's a cover for you, <laughs> you know. Honestly, I was I remember seeing that the first time when it first came out new and going, ugh. <laughs> but then I'm, I'm not cheap about Code Veronica's artwork either. Maybe. No, it's not a great artwork, but at least it's clean. Like the artwork quality is high quality. It's it's almost like that time when uh, they uh, was it Okami had the IGN logo on it. Or that oh, time, yeah. um, <laughs> was it Re- Re- Revelations was misspelt. Yeah. Revelations was one, yeah. One was misspelt. I actually was about to say, I knew this artwork before it even came on the shelf because Capcom put all their press materials up. I remember this very clearly, and um, it went up a little while before the game actually came out, and I remember everyone going, who had access to the press gallery, going, oh my god, is that the artwork for this game? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Powell's generally hit and miss with artwork anyway. So, some are good. Well, some are good. I was going to say sometimes we, sometimes the PAL version ends up being like the best version of the artwork. I think Resident Evil Zero is a good example of that. I think that covers a remake. Bit better than remake as well. Are very nice. The PlayStation Two version of Resident Evil Four, very nice. But yeah, then you get some real shocking ones too. Dead Aim is a good example of poor artwork. The yeah, eye with the crosshair on it. Yeah. I, I, well, oh, see, I, I the, the I US version. I think it's just characters. Yeah. And it's the same. And Japanese. I'm Better or worse, it's heroes small. never die. I think he's just Bruce holding a gun towards yeah. the camera or whatever. I don't think there's any real good one there. I think I think the, the least they tried something different with the pal version. Well, clearly this game was so successful. The name Survivor carried on, believe it or not, with Survivor Three, which wasn't even Resident <laughs> Evil, it was Dino Crisis, and Survivor Four, of course, was Dead Aim, which uh, regular listeners will know we praise quite quite well. But outside of Japan. The Survivor name was systematically dumped after this game, and you'll never see it on a title since. I just find that the evolution of the Survivor titles, you know, there is a progression. Survivor 1, and then Dead Aim. And then they take it forward and go, well, the Umbrella Chronicles, you know, Dark Side Chronicles. You can see there's a lot of progress throughout them. Survivor 2 just does stick out a bit. Well, I was going to say, when you look at it, even if you look at the series of actual gun survivor titles as they are in Japan, the, the yeah. progression is quite unusual because you have this open world, almost first person, but still Resident Evil, which is Survivor. You have this arcade shooter, which was then rebranded as 2, which kind of has a... You can feel there's obviously enough connective tissue there that you can go, okay, yeah, I can see where they're going. But 3, which was Dino Crisis, again, not a Resident Evil title, so there's a weird thing as it is, became Dino Stalker. Stalker, okay, yeah. Is more on rails. It's less open. But then you go back to 4, which obviously became Dead Aim. It's kind of almost back to the way that 
survival was, but it switches between your first and thirds. Like it's just whatever they could throw at it that essentially had a gun base they would they would put. And I don't feel like that that's any different than the Chronicles titles, although they're more on rails and then you're in any other gun games essentially that they've released. Well my point was that considering the reception even of Survivor, and I know we we like Survivor and even Dead Aim, the reception of it generally wasn't particularly good. They they were roughly reviewed as six out of ten games. But the quality has actually improved quite a lot throughout all those titles and it's amazing that they still persist with them you know i, I just found that survivor 2 kind of did stick out because i don't feel obviously there's a graphical imp- improvement but i don't feel it's a significant improvement over survivor 1 whereas dead aim was a big improvement over both of them i think it's it's hard to judge in the sense that we're, we're talking about the playstation 2 version of a arcade game that was literally running off the advanced Naomi tech which is what powered the Dreamcast mm. so essentially oh, okay. your, your arcade title was running a high spec Dreamcast as its operational system in fact I believe it actually runs off a GD disc in the cabinet I could be wrong but I believe that's the case um, and it's just using an advanced tech so of course the quality of it I mean we're going back to the fact that the original Code Veronica was developed by Next Tech using assets based off Sega's actual programming library because while well, Next Tech wasn't directly part of Sega, it was linked to Sega, and so did the arcade game that essentially used those same library of assets. Yeah, for a game that never was supposed to be a Survivor title, I guess that's kind of hard to, to state. Yeah, this leads on to an interesting question from regular listener Jonathan Clark, which is, would you have liked to have played more FPS Survivor versions of other Resident Evil titles? Because obviously this is based on a core yeah, I would just say I suppose the Chronicles games tick that box really in that they take a core game yeah. and spin it with a, a light gun twist or whatever I was even thinking I, of Outbreaks but then of course that's to an extent covered in Umbrella Chronicles isn't it yeah. I was going to say if they played like Survivor or Dead Aim and they were more original titles perhaps not reissues of previous games I'd be very keen you know, if they came back to the, one of those sort of styles with a new story, I'd be more than happy to play it. See, here's the thing I will say, and this is going to tie back to the news, that if we were looking at a Survivor remake done in the style of Remake 2, I'd be all over it. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if it was Ark Thompson <laughs> in the over-the-shoulder, reimagined version of Survivor. That is a game that if I ever did read Survivor being remade, I'd be like, yeah, you know what, I can see it, because the original is... Not great, no. And it's a game that could be easily remade. The original game is so inconsequential, you know, in theory, you know, to other games. Uh, it wouldn't matter if they totally, you know, changed it top to tail. Whereas changing Resident Evil 2 is a dangerous game. That said, though, they should still retain the dates and the canon stuff correctly. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, but, but in terms of what I want to see, a game like Survivor 2 again, really, really no... No. I'm all in favour of you know the series branching out and that kind of thing. I've I've always said that, and um, I did see Survivor Two once in Sega Park in Southampton once, and you go, ooh, you know, because um, as you, you feel quite attached because it's your franchise, right? it's, it's your little game that you like and that, that kind of thing. But um, it's like seeing Mario Kart, isn't it, at the arcade? You go, oh look, that's not an arcade game. You know, you're drawn to it because it's a familiar game. But yeah, I don't think I ever got the opportunity to play it. Mainly because I'm very opposed to paying £1 for an arcade title, but there we go. I think, you know, the ambition behind the Survivor titles is sound, you know, and I could see what Capcom were trying to do. They were trying to marry the light gun shooter with the 
more traditional experience. I can't really understand how they went from Survivor. I mean, the thing is, like Rob said earlier, I mean, they actually play worse with the guns. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the most unforgiving thing. I mean, even Dead Aim, it's horrendous to play with the gun. So you really just can't understand, like, I was referred to, I, I can imagine a boardroom meeting with, you know, the person who signs off these projects at Capcom. And you just can't imagine the conversation that would have led to a game like Survivor 2 existing. Correct me if I'm wrong, the GunCon 2 doesn't work on Survivor, so you don't have the benefit of the... No, we didn't know. ...of the D-pad, because at least Dead Aim you could use the D-pad on the... On that, the would, that would be correct, I think. No, the GunCon 2 wasn't out by the time Survivor yeah, had to out. use side... Didn't you have to do something like, for Survivor 1, didn't you have to like pull the trigger twice to run forward... Or something, and then you had the side buttons which turned. It's why they gave you infinite ammo with the handguns. This was one of the main reasons, so you could shoot. You know, you could go. It was atrocious. <laughs> I just try to think of your point about remaking Survivor One. Whoever's writing Resident Evil Two and thinking we should, you know, uh, with Brian Irons, let's make him less subtle. Imagine what they would do to Vincent Goldman. <laughs> it would be, oh god, it'd be like a you'd actually, see, you'd actually, you'd see every bullet going through every child. Let's find this beta hetero non serotonin. <laughs> like, like a film of Saw. <laughs> that would be good. Anyway, anyway, over to you, Sean. Is, do you have any um, any other questions that have come in for us? Uh, there's just a couple from Jonathan Clark. So, where does the nemesis fall in the list of nemesis appearances? Well, this is probably bottom. Yeah, because at least I'm going to say this. Are you ready for this? I know, wait, I know what's coming. Go on. Even Operation Raccoon <laughs> City, as much as it used the Anderson version with the minigun, had a cracking remix of the uh, Nemesis theme. I was going to say on this thing, the one thing that I liked more than anything about Survivor 2 is the fact that at least it uses the, the Code Veronica soundtrack, so at least I get yes. to re-enjoy mm. the soundtrack. I have played Code Veronica for quite a few years now, and... I touched it a little bit to try and replay the HD version was last time I think I played it like three years ago and so I haven't heard the soundtrack since then and then as soon as I hear certain themes and I was like come straight back to me I'm like oh wow you know that's really cool to hear it's like the best part of the game really in some respects yeah the soundtrack is pretty good I thought it worked quite well with the nemesis stalking you in the fourth level it, it matched quite well hold on I don't think it's the worst the worst appearance of nemesis is Umbrella Chronicles yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, with the that is not acceptable for a Resident Evil game. The last sort of question that uh, Jonathan Clark made is just, uh, w- would a more fitting title be, or any thoughts on a better title and all that infers than Clairvoyant Claire and the Mystery of the Rockfort Dreamland? <laughs> That's all. Yeah, because obviously, she, it's like we said, she dreams of creatures she wouldn't potentially know exist. and yeah, we, we, But that's just the canon. We're going to have some bigger problems with the canon in a few months, guys, I can assure you. Yes, this, this is full fry. This really is. <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, unless anyone has anything else they want to add in terms of the overall mythos, I thought we would quickly talk about um, overall conclusions. your mark out of ten. Batman, you've been the most vocal on this. Honestly, I can't give it a mark out of ten because I haven't played through it <laughs> properly. <laughs> I'd be a lot more forgiving if it was an arcade machine and I could just pump a pound in it, but for Capcom to then release it on consoles for full price is just criminal. From the videos I've watched today, it just looks practically unplayable. But the last thing I will say, there is one more tidbit of lore. 
exclusive oh, to Gun Survivor ah. 2. You know how in Code Veronica, Alfred Ashford says it's an experimental strain of T-Virus uh, yes. that's leaked? Obviously, you have at the start the zombies rising from the graves in the graveyard. Up to that point, the T-Virus didn't actually revive the dead, only the G-Virus did. And it's actually said on the Gun Survivor 2 website that the reason this happens is the experimental strain on Rockford Island has had added influence from the progenitor virus. So it becomes the first T-Virus strain to revive the dead. How does that explain the zombies in the graveyard in Resident Evil 3, then? That was question asked of uh, the scenario writer Karamura and he just says if you're infected by the T-virus it basically kills you and stops your heart and then you come back as a zombie so those people had been put into a state of apparent death by the virus and then buried and then reanimated by the virus that sounds stupid I know but that's the official explanation the difference so is saying they're all recent graves okay yeah which Thank is you. silly I know but the, the difference is if you're dead the virus can't reanimate it. You have to be infected. The virus then stops your heart and brings you back. Yeah, you have to be infected and then die before you can be brought back. Yeah, but if you're just a normal corpse, then the virus can't infect you and bring you back. But that changed with Code Veronica, but it's only explained in Gun Survivor 2, or at least the website for it. <laughs> Is the website still going? You have to get it on uh, the Wayback Machine. <laughs> <laughs> and then use Google Translate, but it is there. Has that been followed since, though? This is the only time in Resident Evil history where a dead corpse has been reanimated well, from the T-Virus. Well, the T-Virus can do it from this point onwards. It's basically added influence from the progenitor virus, which has enabled it to revive corpses that previously have had no exposure to the virus. Yeah, there we go. Well, that's uh, two bombshells there, a zero out of ten for a not applicable... <laughs> And a bit law that changes the face of the series forever. Stars Tone. As an arcade experience, it'd probably be a, a six, but as a PlayStation 2 game, it's probably about a three or a four. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, Rob? Uh, yeah, I'd probably agree with that as an idea. I think as an arcade experience on the original hardware, yeah, probably an enjoyable machine to throw some money at, but um, as a PlayStation 2 game, I'm glad I bought it as a pre-owned uh, title for about <laughs> one-third of its original cost. Uh, so yeah, I'd say about a, about a four, I think, three or four. Yes, I, I suppose that's the, the test, isn't it? Do you feel bugged off paying £40 for it? If the answer is yes, it's not going to score above a five out of ten. So, um, yeah... For me, that's a score. Five. So there's a couple of Facebook comments and shout-outs to Mike Allisham. Played Gun Survivor 2 again the other day. Complete shit. <laughs> Why have we spent this last hour saying everything we had? We could have just said that. And been <laughs> Thanks for listening, Emma. And uh, Craig Gordon's asked questions that we've been uh, discussing um, quite significantly in uh, about the canonicity of the game. The two nemesis. <laughs> More than two, my friend. And uh, was the whole thing a dream? And it does give the information on the rival company, which Batman has uh, followed through with some cannon-busting lore. So, superb. <laughs> you know, that does conclude Gun Survivor 2, which I think, bearing in mind with uh, Heavenly Island, we are now up to date with the vast majority of canon media. It only leaves the experience and the voice of Gaia to properly go through, which um, uh, we're not looking forward to doing that. So, that finishes off now, so we'll now turn our attentions to this edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. New season. New questions. Art 
welcome to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Welcome, welcome one and all to this uh, this this quiz. We have five relatively easy questions um, this week, so I'm expecting high scores from everyone. So if you can clear your desktops, you can open up Notepad. Let's crack on. So question number one is an easy one. Which, and we've already discussed most of it, which non-Code Veronica BOWs appear in Survivor 2? Should, should all get that one. Although I would say, think, think about it, it's not quite as easy as you think. Question number two is a timeline question, timeline question. So Resident Evil 6 timeline question. Hmm. In what year were the field operations support team formed? Question number three. What appears on the blue collectible coins slash emblems found in Revelations 2? That is a specific symbol or picture on those blue collectible coins. Question number four is a puzzle question. What is the colour order for the power station puzzle in Resident Evil 3? That's that's tough. So if you can all but, remember the puzzle in the substation. God. Uh-huh. Uh. And finally, question number five. Another colour question, isn't it? What colour is the fifth jewel you can get in Survivor 2? We've already discussed the fact that you need five jewels to unlock the Nemesis boss battle, if that counts as a reward. But what's the fifth one? Two possible answers here, depending on the quality of your television, I suppose. So, (laughs) that concludes the quiz. Join us after this when we'll run through the answers. You loved Big Head Mode in the 1990s. You devoured Zombie Mode in practically every game in the noughties. Now prepare yourself for the next mode to take the video game industry by storm. Coming exclusively to Resident Evil 2 in 2019. Hats on all enemies mode! Following the overwhelming positive fan reaction to the new tyrant, we thought, why not charge people for more of this? Pre-order now for an additional $9.99 and you can experience hats on all enemies. Zombie. Nice hat. Liquor. Nice hat. Brian Irons. On the ground, hands behind your head. Nice hat. And that big plant from Birkin's lab? Well, strap yourself in, because that's wearing a fedora. So prepare yourself for a top hat experience with the game mode of the generation, only with Resident Evil 2. pre-order exclusively at GameStop to get that essential hat for Ada Wong. Nice hat. You're trying to look like a secret agent. So, welcome back to the quiz. Let's run through those answers. So, question number one is, what are the non-code Ronica BOWs to appear in Survivor 2? Uh, Stars Tyrant, what were they? Um, I can only think of three. That's uh, Licker, the Dream Demos, and then Nemesis. Okay, Batman? Uh, same. 
And Ron B? Yeah, Drain Demos Liquor, Nemesis second. Don't give anything else. I said think about it a bit more. Drain Demos Liquor's Nemesis. And of course the Roach. Get the Roach. <laughs> well, there we go. You get the Roaches. They don't appear in Code Veronica normally. Um, they only appear in versus Roach mode. So no points there, folks. <laughs> you said that it appeared in previous games. Yes, it appears in Resident Evil 2. The Roach. Keep up, keep up, you know. Most annoying creature in Resident Evil 2, the Roach. Yeah, yeah. stun you if you show him. Question number two. In what year were the field operations support team formed? I'm going to start with Batman. He's our timeline king. 2011. Did he get that right? Let's find out. Stars Tarrant, what did you put? I had no idea, so I just guessed 2003. And Rombie? Uh, I was going to guess 2010, but I'm now convinced it's 2011. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with the timeline king and if I was that close I'm going to 2011 are you that persuasive the answer is 2011 well done Batman I'm only, I can only give it to Batman there I'm not having that Rob I'm not having that 2010 was pretty close it was pretty, yes very good and I might have given it if uh, Batman was well out but 2011 well done Batman question number three what appears on the blue collectible coin slash emblems in Revelations 2 uh, a trend starting Resident Evil 4 really with those collectible coin things uh, carried on in future games uh, Rombie did you know this one uh, I think it was like a building or a tower or something like that I can't remember I can't remember exactly I something think it's like something that. like that okay uh, start start. Uh, they are called tower emblems, I seem to remember. So I'm just going to assume it's Alex's tower. Uh, Batman? I wasn't sure. I thought it was like a, an outline of a woman's face, Alex's face. It is tower. It is tower. So points for Star's Tower and Rombie there. Well done. Back in the game. It's getting exciting, getting tense. Question number three. <laughs> Four, sorry. What is the colour order for the power station puzzle in Resident Evil 3? <laughs> There's two combinations, Nick. Is that, is that the There's second? two rooms you open. Second one. <laughs> Rob, there you go first. I have no idea. I cannot remember the order whatsoever. So it could be green, red, orange, pink. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Batman. Oh, I can't remember. Sorry. Stars for the point. Um, I'm just going to guess. I have only played it like a fortnight ago. I'm going to go red, blue, red, blue, blue for one of the doors. Uh, it's red, blue, blue, blue. No. Unlucky, unlucky. You got the colours. So it's all down to question number five. What colour is the fifth jewel in Survivor 2? Batman. <laughs> um... Did your five minutes of gameplay get you to the fifth jewel? Fuck. I don't know. Red. It's a common colour. Is it right? Stars? No idea. I didn't get that far today. Rombie. Grey. I don't oh, believe it. Rombie takes the win. <laughs> <laughs> it's I finished grand. it before, so I knew it was grey. It was worth playing again then. <laughs> See, I would it's have like given. Win the so the points go to Rombie, and look at those final scores. Scores on the doors. Rombie wins the quiz with two points. Batman and Stars uh, in second place with a point apiece. So well done, <laughs> Rombie. That does conclude the quiz for uh, this podcast. Join us next time, where we'll have some more, probably better questions. Thank you very much for listening. We are slowly wrapping up the podcast for this week. Um, I've always wanted to do a Survivor 2 podcast, so I was pleased we had the opportunity. It was a good idea from Batman to include Heavenly Island, just to make it a bit more interesting, I think. Because, yes, talking about Survivor 2 any longer would have probably required some form of brain surgery. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, coming up, 
um, hopefully we'll have some more YouTube videos for you to enjoy. Rob's going to be streaming, so I encourage you all to uh, log into that and uh, see how he gets on. In terms of podcasts, we are rapidly approaching Christmas, and of course Resident Evil 2 Remake. We may try and squeeze one more in just before the Christmas break, and of course the annual PU Podcast Christmas advert is incoming, so keep your ears out for that. After the uh, unadulterated success of last year's, the demand skyrocketed for a second, so keep your ears out for that. On that note, it is goodbye for me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Goodbye from me, Stars Tyrant. And goodbye from me, Robbie. Biohazard contamination detected. Level S. Instruction A. Executed. All personnel evacuate immediately. Level 